Hi, I'm Emily and this is the Wise Women in Sport podcast, episode three. The conversation you are about to hear today is something I feel is really important for all of us to listen to, now more than ever. Not just with women, not just with trans women and not just in sport, but with your friends, your family, brothers, sisters, sons and daughters. This podcast is all about opening up the conversation and I hope that you can listen to this with an open mind and no predetermined ideas. Just listen. Here we go. Here's episode three. Welcome to the Wise Women in Sport podcast, the podcast where I delve into the lives of female athletes and sportswomen and discuss how they train and compete around their physiology as women. Today I'm speaking with runner Sean Longthorpe. Sean is based in the southwest of England and has been a keen runner since a young teenager. The unique thing about Sean is she used to be Simon. Sean was a Simon male at birth and while living as Simon developed a passion for running. Everything from 5k up to ultramarathon distances, winning and podiuming at many races. Since beginning her transition from male to female a few years ago, Sean has stated herself that her priorities and what she runs for have changed significantly. I'm really keen to learn more about how the transition affected her training and racing, as well as Sean's continued passion for running as a woman. So, Sean, welcome to my podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Um, before we start, and this isn't normally how I have started, I've you're to be completely honest, you're only my fourth person on the podcast, my fourth guest. Um, and I'm really, really grateful considering you don't, we've never met before. <laughs> and this podcast hasn't been out before that you have agreed to come on and speak to me. Um, <clears throat> but I've been thinking a lot this week about how I um, was actually going to round off the podcast. Um, I was going to ask you and I will ask you about um, empowering others, but we'll come to that in a bit. Um but I wanted to say to you, first of all, that you have really empowered me to have this conversation. Um, so when I first wrote down my list of names of people that I wanted uh, to come on the podcast and speak to, I went through my Instagram and my Facebook and, and looked through all the people that I follow who I thought might be interesting and you were on the list. Um, and for some reason, I started to contact people and my brain stopped me from contacting you. And I think what I've come to realize is with it was fear it was a fear of me saying something wrong and somehow offending you or somehow I don't know getting something wrong saying using a wrong pronoun or you know anything like that I was really really nervous and thinking oh god have I got the vocabulary to talk to this person um I haven't got any friends or any family members who are in the trans community and have, have I got any experience in talking to this person? Am I going to get something wrong? And then what happened was I went away and listened to lots of your um, podcast recordings with other people where you've spoken so openly and so amazingly and been so generous with your story um, that I came to realise, of course I have, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what a stupid thing to think because you are just another woman. You're just another human being. You know, you're not an alien. Um, of course I can have an open conversation with you so I wanted to just first off say thank you so much for being so open um, because you've really helped me and I'm sure you will help empower many other women um, and men in you know just openly talking about subjects that really shouldn't be difficult to speak about um, and yeah so first of all I just want to say a massive thank you. Well, that's that's very kind. Um, thank you, and and well done for conquering your fear. I mean, one of my, um, I guess, one of my drivers really is to just try and be um, as open as I can to help mm. distill a lot of the myths and um, misinformation that surrounds um, trans people. Um, and it's only by having invites to podcasts um, and being able to share my story that that's possible so um, yeah. yeah it's my pleasure thank you yeah and it, I think it could have been so easy for someone in your position to just shy away from that and just you know go away and live your life as Sean but just you know not do it in in a visible way um, to lots of people by going on podcasts and things I think it's just so great that you have done what you've done and, and spoken openly about it to lots of people and it's just it is. If, if you're, I was thinking, if you're ever having a day where you're having a wobble or thinking, oh God, I'm not sure if I can keep going on these podcasts and talking to people about it, you know, I wanted to say 
no, please do, because you are definitely, you know, helping loads of people who might feel a bit uncomfortable um, and not know what to say and worry about getting something wrong to just think like I did, like, well, no, it's completely fine. You're just another person. And of course, I can have a conversation with you and be open about it. And so... Um, Absolutely. And it's about educating. And, and I think from my perspective, you know, it's it's very different if somebody says something um, with malice behind it compared to mm-hmm. a, a genuine mistake. And, yeah. you know, I'm always willing to forgive people for making mistakes because it's, you know, it is a bit of a minefield. And particularly for people that have known me a long time, it's it's taken them a long while to, to get their head around the new norm surrounding yeah. me. So, I need to cut them some slack. Um, <laughs> and to just address your other point, really, um, for a long time, my thoughts were that I would stay in the background um, yeah. because that was the easiest thing to do. Um, but I was very conscious that when I was in a particularly bad place um, several years ago, one of the things I really struggled with was actually um, people that I could relate to. Um so I feel I owe it in some part to the trans community to try and be visible, um, to, to try and give people hope, um, but to also try and normalise it from the rest of society's perspective. Because um, quite frankly, all, all I want to do is, is get on with my life. Um, and hopefully that becomes apparent when we speak. Um, I'm not trying to, to do anything other than to make the most of... Um, of my time time here so that's my that's my driver brilliant um so the first question it's also before I come on to the first question it's also made me really rethink some of the things that I ask which is brilliant because this podcast is called wise women in sport and it should encompass all women whatever their background um and so it's made me think hang on maybe I need to rethink what my first question is so uh, the question I've asked the previous guests has been, um, do you remember your first period? Do you remember one when that moment was and how it affected you? And if you took part in sport, how that how that affected you? Um, and I think for many uh, many women or girls um, who are assigned female at birth and have that first period, people tell them it's it's your first step into womanhood. You know, you're transitioning from a girl into a woman. Of course, for you, the step into womanhood would have looked slightly different. So what was that moment for you? Um, I think it's it's fair to say that it's it's been quite a journey. Um, and there's been a series of rather large, large steps along the way. Um, I think probably a, a couple of key moments along that journey were firstly deciding that I actually was going to transition. Um, you'll probably not be surprised to hear that this is something that's, you know, been a, a part of my life for some time. Um, but for many years, I, I tried to force it to the back of my mind and pretend it wasn't happening and to, I guess, convince myself that, you know, my 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 life um, was 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 destined to to be to be male throughout and so I think the first big moment came when I actually made the decision that I was I was going to transition um probably the next key one was was coming out publicly over a period of years I told those closest to me whether that was family or friends but really the point when I came out publicly, particularly at work, um, because I have quite a, a visible visible work. Um, it's not like I'm um, stuck in an office um, mm. at the back when nobody sees me. Um, my role is is meeting and greeting quite a few people. Yeah. So coming out publicly as, as transgender was, was another big step. And probably the, the final major one was actually that first day when I began living full-time as a woman and that was yeah and that was three and a half years ago um and you know it's 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 an awful long time ago now um Mm. but at at the time that was that was huge um 
because really there was there was no going back um but it was also hugely liberating so i guess to summarize it it, it was a series of fairly key steps yeah. along the way really yeah excellent um and looking back to before you transitioned um just starting to think about running a bit more when when you uh were living as simon you started running when you were a teenager is that right Yes, yes, I did. Um, the inspiration for my running was was my brother. I've got an older brother. He's two or three years older than me, and he took up running. And I guess because he did it, I followed in his footsteps and realised actually I was quite good, naturally talented, <laughs> much to his annoyance. Yeah, um, really annoying. <laughs> yeah, because he, in fairness, trained harder than I did, um, and yet I seemed to perform better. And yeah. of course, that was. I think when we're in our teenage years, we kind of cling to the things that we're, we're good at to mm. to feel good about ourselves. Um, so I fell into running um, quite quickly and, and, and sort of kept it up from there, really, and mm. quite quickly became known as a runner. And throughout my teenage years, I regularly competed for my, uh, for my county, for Devon, um, mm-hmm. whether that was... Um, through the schools program or whether that was just representing the the county um over cross country and and track and field and you know i I would race back then sort of 800 meters and and 1500 meters were my were my main events brilliant and then did you did i hear you've taken you took a break over university is that right and then came back to it i did i took uh, i took a couple of years off when i was at university and found myself playing a lot of football and I I did find that my general fitness from running helped enormously Mm -hmm. Um, but in my final year at at university I decided that I wanted to do a marathon and I was fortunate enough to get a place the first time around um, on the or through the London Marathon ballot which these days is completely unheard of. Um, So with the entry I was completely self-coached but I had a a, a a goal of trying to run sub three wow. and I didn't really have any idea of, of any formal coaching really other than yeah. I knew I had to get some miles in my legs and remarkably I, I ran a 258 on my debut oh my that, was, that was back in I think 1999 or 1998 one of the wow, two that's amazing <laughs> were you part of a club at all um, I was. Um, I used to train, um, particularly when I was at school, with Torbay Athletic Club. Oh, right. Um, and actually back then we had a, a, a very good group of of people that I trained with and that was hugely beneficial for my running. Mm. Um, and I still find that to be the case now, that you are dragged around if you're in a group and achieve much more than going out and, yeah. um, and trying to achieve it on your own. Definitely. Um, and so... You have an incredible, um, I looked it up, you have an incredible uh, marathon PB of two, was it 235? 235 in Chester, that was, yeah, thank you. So um, I've read and heard you speak a little bit about um, your running um, career around that sort of time when you were really hitting lots of PBs. For those people that that haven't um, heard you speak about that before, just tell us a bit about that time. Sure, Um, so that would have been in my late 30s. I think um, it's no coincidence to to realise in hindsight that I was running the best I ever had when actually my personal life was, was at its lowest ebb. Mm. And I think what happened was I, I felt as though my life was crumbling around me um, and yet running was this one thing that I could cling to. And it was a chance for me to get out of the door and get away from my stresses and actually just run and to try and clear my head. And because I was doing that fairly regularly and pushing myself quite hard in training, and I I suspect in retrospect that was some form of punishment, um, because I was training so hard, I was racing as well as I ever had. And because I was racing so well, PBs were forthcoming, and of course that inspired me to... To run a bit more yeah. and um yeah it was it was the one thing that i could cling to to say actually my life's not a complete disaster 
because I've still got my running. Um, of course, to the to the outside world, n- nobody knew what was going on in my head, um, mm. and they could just see this success that I was was having um, with my running. And I got I achieved PBs over the course of a probably about a three year period, um, from five k all the way through to um, to the marathon. And within that time as well, I I won my first ultra marathon on, mm. on my debut as well. So. It was a real um, prime patch in my running, but like I say, the, the rest of my life was was sadly not nearly as um, mm. as rosy. Um, and that was the Dartmoor Discovery Ultramarathon, is that right? Yes, it was. Yes, yeah. so that's um, fairly local to me. That's maybe half an hour away up the road. Um, amazing. And yeah, it was for me one. It's one of those races that will will long last in the memory, um, mm. where. I didn't really know how to run an ultra, having never done one before. Um, but I just ran my own race, and I had some very good form, and yeah, managed to to come away with the victory. And it was it was it was a, a great achievement. And and I think at the time maybe I didn't realise quite how special it was. Yeah, um, but I've become aware since quite how well regarded the the Dartmoor Discovery is as a race and. Mm. I, I've done it again since, and I've I've been back to support on a number of occasions. And actually, the you know it, it's a great day out, and and to go there as a as a past winner is very rewarding. Actually, yeah. How far is it out of interest? It's thirty two miles, oh. so it's at the lower end, I guess, of, of ultras. But it's still thirty two miles. Oh and yeah, it's, still very it's, hard. It's over Dartmoor, um, which although it's on the roads, is is very hilly. Yeah. Um, so it's a very testing course, but a great event if anybody's looking for something to do in June. Oh, fantastic. Um, and so you went through that period where you were um, running and racing very, very well. Your running side of your life was going brilliantly. Um, then you've spoken very openly on, on other podcasts and in your blog and stuff about how, you know, your your home life changed um and then you decided to transition what was um the real deciding moment that that really led you to go okay yep I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna live as Sean again it was a series um series of steps as you might imagine um actually around the time I won the Dartmoor Discovery was the time that my ex and I announced that our marriage was was over and because I was still deeply ashamed of my true feelings, um, mm. I I kept them to myself. And the the line that we were telling friends and family was that we'd just grown apart. Whereas the reality was my true feelings around my um, my gender identity were a large driver behind the, the breakdown mm. of our marriage. Um, I I did feel. Um, I did feel that I should tell my parents, so I, I broke the news to them and nobody else that actually the, the real reason was I was struggling with my, with my identity, mm-hmm. but I didn't I didn't know where it was going, and as I said, I was I was very ashamed. Um, moving forward, um, it took a long while, but I eventually plucked up the courage to tell um, tell my best friend and very fearful of of his reaction and it was without doubt one of the hardest things I'd ever done and trying to find the right set of words was really difficult um, because I just didn't know how he was going to respond and of course once you say something like that you can't easily unsay it Um, but he was remarkable Um, I mean he was very surprised Um, he had no suspicions or thoughts that this was what I was going to tell him so he actually thought I was going to tell him I was terminally ill because I yeah because well firstly I found it so hard to to speak to him but secondly because I wasn't in a great place I I let myself go and Mm. I wasn't eating properly and I looked very gaunt and you know not particularly a, a healthy person so he was quite relieved, actually, when I told him that I was transgender, which was not the response that I uh, expected. Um, but buoyed by that, I, maybe three months later, 
worked up the courage to tell somebody else and it was just a little bit easier Mm -hmm. not easy but a little bit easier and again three months later maybe told somebody else so within within about a year 18 months I had a close-knit group of friends who Mm. who knew um who knew my truth and they were actually hugely supportive and I I guess around that time I started thinking, well, maybe maybe this isn't quite as difficult as as I thought. Um, and it was it was around then that really my relationship changed with running from from being one of chasing PBs to actually using my running as a way of processing my thoughts. Mm. And I'm sure we've all done it, but I I, yeah. I made some fairly life changing decisions through running and and just used it as a way of of just thinking things through and you know who I might tell next and how I might tell them and just um I, I guess just that that process of running is is hugely helpful um yeah. you know I, I could zone out but make some really really crucial decisions so mm. yeah running was playing a very different part in my in my life at that time um and so if I can ask, when when did you start taking, because um, I heard you speak before about how you started taking the hormone replacement. Is it, would you say it's called HRT? HRT, that's correct, would you, yes. Um, so you started taking that around that time. I heard you say you, you've taken it earlier than, than when you actually transitioned. Yes, I did. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess the reality was I was in my very late very late 30s is the timeline gets a bit blurred I was in my very late 30s when um when my marriage broke down and the decision to take hormones I think was at that time I I really didn't know whether I would be able to transition Mm -hmm. but I think I was of the opinion that time is running out and actually Mm -hmm. if I if I wanted to be as authentic as I could be through my transition, then yeah. I ne- I needed the help of hormones. And yeah. unfortunately, the the wait for the um, NHS was was long, was very long. And actually, I realised that if if I were to do it, I couldn't afford to wait for the the NHS. So I took the decision to to have HRT privately. Yeah. And. So that was through an internet provider and I would have my blood levels checked and it was it was a, a halfway house. I would have preferred to do it through the NHS, um, yeah. but that wasn't an option. And the other option of self-medding was, was in my opinion, very, very dangerous. Yeah. And so I, I took what I thought was the only option to me. So, yeah, I've been on, on hormones now for five five and a half years mm-hmm. and obviously now I'm, I'm very glad I, I took that decision um and I I, I realized that it, it probably was a statement of intent on my part without yeah. actually realizing it at the time yeah I think I was almost convincing myself without realizing it yes of course a big change than taking those hormones and so would you mind just going into kind of a bit more detail about actually which hormones are they and how do they affect your body you know on a physical level do they is it do they kind of suppress the testosterone is that right yeah so there was there was essentially two parts of the hrt the, the mm. first the first was a testosterone blocker right. um and the second one was um was estrogen mm-hmm. um so i effectively blocked one and uh, and took took the other yeah. um and primarily the the estrogen was in the form of, of patches um mm-hmm. i i did try i did try the forms um in terms of either gels or tablets but actually the one that i got on best with was um mm. was patches i should say as of about two years ago i was fortunate enough to get onto the nhs in terms of my treatment for mm-hmm. for hrt and i'm I'm very glad that I did. Um, I think the the provider that I was working with was becoming less and less reliable, in my oh. opinion. And 
it was timely that you know having waited a long time to get mm. to the front of the NHS queue I, I was very yeah. pleased that they could take over my my prescription but oh but to achieve that I had to have a diagnosis um from a couple of psychiatrists I always get oh, confused right. I think it's psychiatrists to to basically make sure that I I knew what I was doing yeah um and to I guess convince them that I was serious about this and for me that was that was huge validation mm. you know I I knew how I felt in my head but there was always that worry of well what if I'm not trans enough um <laughs> which is an odd thing to say yeah um and of course everyone's story and everybody's journey is, is unique but to actually get a um a medical professional well two medical professionals sign me off um was was really reassuring yeah it must feel really good to have that you know from a psychological perspective someone say yes I think you know you ha- these feelings are true and you know go yeah for it. because for a long time you know particularly through sort of teenage years and my 20s the feelings weren't as, as strong as they were. My, my mm-hmm. feelings grew over time, but 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 when they were there, I, I used to try and suppress them and, and convince myself that you know, it wasn't that bad and I could mm. live with it and I could tolerate it. Um, which was part of the reason for me thinking, well, you know, if if I thought at some stage I could live with it, is is it really that serious? Um, mm. But what I found over time was it just it just snowballed and um, it was. Yeah, it, it, it never got any easier. It was like a drum beat that just got quicker and quicker mm. um, is the best way of describing it. And yeah, to have to have that medical diagnosis was was really sort of encouraging. Um, yeah, it must have felt I mean, I can only imagine, but it must have just felt so freeing to have to have that and go and, you know, not feel like you can push it, suppress it anymore. Like you say, is that's you and and, you know, you're taking taking the hormones to become you know your true self and and to have someone say yeah you know don't this isn't this isn't a strange thing it's it's not a phase and I think you know that's often a um a phrase that's that's leveled at at trans people that it is just a phase and I guess everyone's everyone's different but for me to be going through that in my my early 40s it I turned my world upside down, quite frankly, um, because of this. And again, something that's levelled at trans people is, you know, that they're just effectively playing at it and and they're not sure. Well, the reality is I had I had everything that that people strive for and and what is what is seen as successful. I had, you know, I, I, I was married. I had I had two young children. I had a very good job. Um, nice house, nice car. I had all of those trappings of success, and mm. I I put them all on the line um, because I was I was genuinely concerned as to how how the general public would would perceive me, and I, yeah. I feared losing my job, I feared losing friends, I feared losing my family, my children disowning me. It was mm. it was a huge gamble, um, and you know to do it at that point in your life was. Yeah. It was um, it was a tough decision, um, but what I what I will say the the wait for the NHS treatment was was long. Um, mm. I think from memory when I when I first sought help, I was told it should have been a thirteen week wait, but actually yeah. they said it's going to be longer than that. Mm. Um, they then said it was going to be eighteen months. Um, eighteen months came and went. Um, I then got to two and a half years and I still oh, hadn't goodness. seen anybody. You hadn't um, even seen anybody? I hadn't even seen anybody. All I'd seen is my GP three years previously. Oh, um, goodness. Who, who, who put me in contact with a gender identity clinic and they are completely snowed under at the moment. Yeah. Um, hence the long wait. But what I, what I found myself doing in that time, and it proved in hindsight to be really beneficial the weight was it 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 allowed me to make my mind up mm-hmm. I think I think when I was first referred to the gender clinic I actually wanted them to say this is where you're going with your life which yeah. 
obviously they can't do. Mm. Um, but actually, whilst waiting for the, my first appointment, I took every possible step that I could do to aid my transition. And that's why right. I started hormones. That's why I started having laser treatment and electrolysis on mm -hmm. my face. It's why I started growing my hair. It's, yeah. it's why I started having voice training. It's I did everything I possibly could. And I think that stood me in really good stead when I sat in front of the professionals and said, mm. this is my story. This is what I've done. And yeah. I think they realized that you know I wasn't playing at it, which um, you know, some, some people thought might be the case. So just going back to the hormones for a moment, when um, you started taking them, how quickly did you find they, I mean, this is from a running perspective, how quickly did you find they affected you and what sort of effects did you feel um, from those early on? It was, it was interesting because I knew, I'd, I'd done my research and I knew that taking hormones would affect my athletic performance. Mm. And as a runner, that's obviously something that I was yeah. intrigued at. Um, but it was it was a price that I was willing to, to pay. I think what really surprised me was actually how quickly I felt the impact. Um, yeah. It was probably only a couple of months before I started noticing being slower in, in my runs. And... Mm. You know, for many years, I, I'd been a slave to my watch and I knew what certain paces felt like. I knew yeah. what I could achieve in races. I knew what my training paces were. And I was acutely aware that actually I wasn't able to hold those paces. Or if I did hold the pace, it felt that much harder. Yeah. Um, and I knew it was only going to go one way. I, I knew it wasn't a temporary thing that would that would get fixed. And for me... Although I knew it would happen, that was really hard to deal with because yeah. I had to effectively reset my aspirations from running. Yeah. And this is at a time when probably only my mum and dad knew the real truth. Certainly my running friends and, and the people in my training group didn't have a clue that I was transgender. <laughs> They're all thinking, why have you suddenly <laughs> got yeah. slower? Yeah, and and because I was getting slower, I I didn't want to enter races either. So mm. typical running, typical running group, typical runners, you know, the talk is quite often, what race are you doing next? Yeah. And and I just kept saying, oh, I, I, I haven't entered anything. And people were saying, you know, are you not training as hard or you know, why are you going slower? Um, yeah. And I, I couldn't tell them. And so that actually, the way I chose to deal with that was I actually stepped away from running publicly. Mm. I I withdrew from the race scene. I withdrew from training at a club. And my, my running became about me going out on my own and leaving my watch at home because I, yeah. I couldn't... I didn't want to know that my splits were slower. Yeah. I didn't want to know what might have taken me 45 minutes was now taking me an hour. Um, so that was a really interesting yeah. point in the journey. But I, I was using that time, as I said earlier, to to, to, to process my thoughts. So mm. it, it wasn't... It wasn't as though running didn't serve a purpose. It did. It was just a very different purpose at that time. Yeah, to what you had been used to. I think mm. for me, it's such an interesting part of your story is that, um, you know, you were such a competitive runner when you were Simon. You know, you had you ran all these incredible PBs. And then I think, you know, it just shows... If, you know, if anyone, if anyone, if you had been able to tell anyone at that time, you know, this is what I'm going through, I would, I would say it would have shown your, you know, massive commitment to, yes, this is the life I want to lead because I'm doing this. And, you know, I'm, I'm taking these hormones and they're going to slow me down, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm changing my whole life and I'm, you know, I'm changing, changing everything about me, your, your you know, your whole identity. Um and a big part of that is going to be that your running is going to change and you're not going to be 
um, you know, at the front of, of that field anymore. Um, still competitive, um, but but yeah, maybe um, for me, it's such a it's such an interesting part, um, you know, for someone on the outside looking in um, to to say, you know you're losing all of that particularly for me as someone who's not a competitive runner necessarily I'd love to be um but yeah to to then go you know say goodbye to that in many ways and say no this is what running is for me now um and it's not it's not that escape anymore it's now for for the headspace and and for the mindset so I think it's such yeah. a such an interesting part and, and just to, to put it in context, really, in terms of putting numbers to something, um, my my rule of thumb now is that I've lost, or I am about a, a minute per mile slower, right. which, um, you know, I, I think is, is a big number. I mean, to, is, put it in, yeah. to put it in percentage terms, that's probably 15, 16% slower. Um, mm. So what what used to be a six-minute mile is now a seven-minute mile. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's quite a change. And Uh, I've heard you speak, I think I heard you speak on the Marathon Talk podcast with Holly Rush, which was an amazing listen. Um, If anyone's listening and wants to listen to more of your story, I definitely recommend going and hearing that conversation. But you spoke about um, the blood, the, the levels of testosterone and estrogen in your blood and, you know, how you'd, how you'd been tested, um, just tell us a bit about that and actually how different the levels are um, on the hormones. Yeah, so um, as I said, when I, when I was having my, my blood tests um, or when I was having my hormones privately, one of the requirements was that I had regular blood tests. So once mm. every three months and that has that has continued since joining the, the NHS medication. Um, mm-hmm. and, and for me, it's really, really beneficial because it... Um, it illustrates to me, you know, where, where my blood levels are in terms of um, testosterone and, and estrogen. Um, because for me, I, I want those figures to be correct from a feminization point of view. Yeah. Um, but they've also been quite helpful to just look at, f- from, from an athletic perspective, really, and just, I, I suppose, to reassure myself that, the the drugs are working that the medication mm-hmm. is working and you know very quickly my my testosterone levels fell substantially mm. um, and the the readings for testosterone I, I forget the measurement that it's that it's um, taken in but for a a typical male the reading is between about 10 and 30 yeah and I was half of 1% wow. um, and, and, and have been for pretty much five years now. Mm. And conversely, my oestrogen my levels are, are in the band of, of a natal female. So a, a, a you know, somebody born female at birth. So, yeah. so the, 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 the levels are where they need to be from a feminization point of view. Yeah. One, one real niggle that I've got, um, I, I don't have many regrets in life really but one of my one of my regrets is that I didn't I didn't put myself forward for the purposes of science um as part of my transition because I think in hindsight it would have been a really useful Mm. um piece of research to actually just look at the effects of of HRT in somebody who was a decent club runner yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think there are studies. Well, no, I know there are studies out there that have been done on the general population, yeah. but they're not necessarily particularly fit people. Mm. Um, and I'm I'm not putting myself up there in the, in the in the elite category, but I think you know I I think there would have been some really use, useful data there. Definitely. Yeah, I I <laughs> regret not having that thought until about a year ago because by then it was too late it would have been very useful to have a baseline pre hrt and and then studied it regularly over the course of my transition um whilst we're just on that subject um i heard you speak again i think again it was on marathon talk podcast it was i'm gonna say it was such a good listen you get you talked so much about this about kind of the um the levels of hormones and then 
talking about racing um, and the big kind of topic I suppose when it comes to transgender athletes and taking part in races is are things equal um, you know a, a lot of people have their own opinions on that um, but you know from me I just think wow you you are you know from a hormonal perspective you're a woman you know you have the same levels or you, you may have similar levels to what I would have and so um, how do you feel um, first of all, how do you feel? Have you you've been received um, in races um, as a trans athlete when you've approached approached uh, races that you've gone back to? And then also, um, what do you think about kind of the current policies on on transgender runners, if there are any? I mean, are there do big races have policies on? transgender athletes? There, there are policies out there, and and certainly it's it's a very hot topic at the moment mm. because there there are debates going on as, as far as I understand at sort of IAAF level which will then yeah. filter down to to Brit- British athletics and for me um, I, I, I always try to stress that I, I don't see myself as a spokesperson for the trans community because mm. to me I just want to get on with my life and, and try yeah. and normalize it but I, I appreciate because I've got a platform um you know i i need to use that quite wisely um i feel slightly conflicted really because i'm i'm the sort of person who actively avoids conflict and yeah. and, and doesn't want to rock the boat but i i find myself in a situation where it is a very divisive topic and i'm mm. front and center of of that debate and i guess part of me thinks that as i get a bit older it's it's less relevant for me because performances would have declined anyway. But I guess I also owe a responsibility to, to people that are following in my footsteps. Yeah. Um, to my mind, I I have a clear conscience when when I enter races. Um, I I was already winning local races um, as Simon back along. Um, so I certainly haven't transitioned to be able to win local races, no. and and I I I hope by being so open with my story and actually telling people, you know, the heartache that I've gone through in in getting to this stage, I, I hope it, it maybe takes some of the some of the pain out of that debate. Yeah. What I, what I will say is. I, I fully understand the argument from from the other side, and mm. um, you know I I was afforded some some benefits having having gone through puberty. Um, I can only talk about it from from my perspective that I I feel as though those benefits have have long been erased, and mm. I think it's it's only right that as a as a good male runner having transitioned you know I would still be a good runner um what I will say is I've been blown away by the the way the running community has received me Mm. in in an ideal world nobody would know my history and I would be able to stand on a start line as Sean with yeah with no with no history and with, with no questions and with no sort of uncertainty hanging over me because I was quite well known as, as Simon um, I haven't been afforded that um, mm. a, a, a anonymous um, anonymous approach so but people have been really really good and I'm now back training with my old training group and I've slotted right back in oh, and which which has been really nice and when I when I go to races there are people obviously who knew me as Simon and they are Mm. extremely welcoming and and that's nice um because that was one of my fears that I would be ostracized because it is such a divisive argument Mm. that we that we find ourselves in um I can honestly say I've only been made aware of of one person truly having an issue with me, and we were corresponding over um, 
through messaging on on Instagram and mm. I I offered to meet for a coffee um, because she was aggrieved um, that, that I was running as a female and, and I yeah. I offered to meet for a coffee to to talk it through to just try and understand her position and for her mm. to understand mine and, and and she didn't take me up on that um, which was it was a bit a bit sad um, yeah that's a shame what what I do hope is that you know people are genuine and they are in being nice to me personally I hope that is their true feelings I I get the sense that it is um I think that the rowing community is is really quite a genuine community um so I would like to think that if if people did have an issue that that would have come to light by now yeah but it but it is a shame and and I understand that where there's the prospect of financial reward Mm. and the ability for people to self-identify that is a potential area of of real concern Mm. and I always say that the the trans community is a very broad spectrum and at, at one end you have people who you know choose at the weekend to to present as a different gender um, but make no effort beyond that to, to, mm. to transition and at the other end are, are people who transition from a very young age and, and I'm certainly more towards towards that mm. towards that end the, the trouble is there is the potential for somebody to identify as, as, as a female and take drugs or take hormones um, mm. for 12 months and and satisfy current criteria and it would it would only take one or two of those occasions to happen for it to set the argument back mm. many many years so I, I'm very conscious how fragile the whole argument yeah. is at the moment yeah. um what I'm what I'm trying to do is, is just put one side of that argument forward and, as I say, just try and demonstrate to people that I, I haven't made these tough decisions no. for the purpose of my running career. Because you haven't actually, turned your life on its head, like you say, uh, just I, to, to go and win, you know, win other races. Yeah, I'd, I'd already proven myself as a runner uh, yeah. before taking the decision to transition and I, I have always seen myself as a runner and so I don't think it's unreasonable to expect me to carry on being a runner. And actually, mm. what I will say is that it's it's one of the few things that's remained constant in my life over the last six or seven years, because an awful lot of it has, has changed beyond recognition. And the fact that running is still there is, is a testament as to how, how important it is in my life, really. Mm. So just speaking about races, so I'm involved in um, my running club put on a local five mile race it is you you know your typical kind of local um, little race it is quite popular it does sell out we have about 800 runners and it sells out very quickly Um, and I I actually mentioned to um, our our club chairman that I was going to be speaking to you because the last couple of years um, there's been discussion within the the committee that put the race on around introducing um do we need to introduce other categories should we have a non-binary category do we need to have a a a trans category you know they're they're thinking okay we need to address this at the moment it's just male and female um from your perspective what would what should what should a race be doing now what should you know these modern races be doing to 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 make you feel more welcome to to be open to everybody from your opinion and this is the this sixty four thousand dollar question, really, because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think there is an answer that is going to be acceptable to everybody. Mm. I think you you run the risk of of either upsetting natal females or or you upset trans people. Um, purely my opinion on this, I mm-hmm. I I want to enter races as a female. I yeah. I think what I've done over the last six or seven years 
is is sufficient for me to be allowed to enter a race as as a female. Mm-hmm. I did a couple of years ago. I was asked to enter a race as non-binary, mm-hmm. and I agreed to do it because I didn't want to rock the boat. But actually, I didn't agree with that because I mm-hmm. I wasn't. I don't class myself as non-binary. Um, I, I classify myself as, as a woman and yeah. can stand on the start line with with a clear conscience um, to be able to do that. But like I say, that there is there is this debate and mm. my fear that somebody will take advantage of that, which makes it such a grey area. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't I don't really know what the answer is. No, of course. Mm. Um, I guess just to be more welcoming to you, just to make you know people feel more welcome, which it sounds like people have been on the whole to you. Yes, they have, and and I've actually, I suppose, I I was fearful for different reasons of, of how I might be um, might be received. I, I suppose I was I was fearful that I I could be the subject of Mickey taking for for mm. want of a better description. Um, yeah particularly dare I say it from from you know male competitors who, who I used to race against I was I was equally fearful of, of being ostracized by women who who wouldn't see me as one of their own mm. and I, I can honestly say I, you know I I've been made to feel very welcome at, at events and um and races which which is what I hoped for and and long may that continue really so now as we near the end, I've got a lighter question. And this is actually from a friend of mine. I spoke to um, a friend of mine in my running club and said I was going to be talking to you. Um, and we kind of said, you know, we have, if you can humour us, we have this unique chance to speak to someone who has lived and trained and raced as a man and now as a woman. Um, and we all like uh, our funky coloured running kit um different you know gizmos and gadgets for running um ultra marathons and things like that how does the design this is from my friend how does the design range and practicality of women's running kit compare to men's have you noticed um a difference um or do you feel like nowadays there is quite a wide range for both genders i still think and I've long held this belief, but now I can live it out that mm-hmm. the, the women's apparel is is far better than the men's. Oh, really? Um, I, I, yeah, I think the I think just the offering in terms of patterns and colours is 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 far more um, far more engaging. I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate for those who don't know. I'm a, an ambassador for Asics, and I I get some very nice kit from them, which. Um, for me is a further validation um, yeah. of, of the decisions I, I've taken and, and also recognition of what I've achieved in, in, in running. Um, to, to go back to the kit, you know, I, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, there's a far better offering for the, for the women than there is for yeah. the men. And I, I I look now at when we get kit from ASICS and um, I look at what the men get compared to what us women get and uh, I think by far we've got the uh, better deal. So. Oh, good. <laughs> I suppose it is. I mean, I've got two um, young boys and I do find it's slightly comparable to going into buying their clothes and I look at all the lovely girls clothes on all the hangers and I think oh that looks so lovely they've got so many different things they can choose from and then my boys always in you know blue green black t-shirts jumpers it's always the same and I suppose it is actually quite similar in the running world isn't it it's all you know those sorts of colors and then the women get you know, lots of lovely patterns. And they get the jazzy, funky stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, there might be some men that want a bit more, you know, funky clothing uh, for running in. But, um, but yeah, thank you for answering that. That was just one that we thought, oh, actually, I'd quite like to know. We've got this unique opportunity to speak yeah. to someone who has done both. Um, so as I started, when I started, um, I spoke about how you'd empowered me. Um, so the podcast 
I don't think I've actually even mentioned this yet, is is wise women in sport and the wise is for women in sport empowered. Um, how do you feel telling your story and sharing your story um, to others has helped you? Have you found it empowering um, and I guess validating in, in sharing your story with other people? Hugely, actually. And, and when I... I guess as I was going through my transition in the early days, I was of the opinion that, that I would very much stay under the radar um, because I, I'm not an attention-seeking person. I'm I'm quite the opposite. I'm very shy. And, and um, so for me, the best thing to do is to keep my head down and, and just, just go about it. Um, I, I think I made a very conscious decision when I joined the ASICS team a couple of years ago because I had I had an opportunity to join the team but a, a condition of joining the team was that I made my Instagram account public mm. and yeah. up until that point it, it had been private um, and that was a really big thing for me because I was very conscious that I was putting myself out there and unfortunately the, the trans community you know it's it can be a very unwelcoming place at times and I was very conscious as quite a fragile person that if if I got a lot of abuse then what would that do to my mental health mm. and unfortunately as, as with most things you can get a hundred compliments but if you receive a couple of negatives those are the those ones, are the that ones stick, yeah. yeah they're the ones that stick and it's 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 quite sad but I also thought actually it's it is a chance to try and change perceptions and I'm I'm I haven't got a huge following but I, I think actually the people who do follow me I think appreciate my authenticity and mm. the fact that I just want to go about getting on with my life you know I'm not I'm not out there banging the drum and, no. and trying to get change that way I'm actually trying to go about it in a much more subtle way and demonstrating to people that trans people are are reasonable and actually we just want to be treated fairly yeah. and my running and my position with ASICS affords me that platform to be able to do it so I feel very grateful to to be in that position um and and I, I just try to to make the most of it so to be to be invited on onto a podcast I I you know I I always jump at the chance as you said you and I had never met but I just think it's a chance to just reach a slightly different audience and yeah. I guess my audience is, is twofold there's there's the general public who probably have a preconception as to what transgender what the transgender community is all about and what we're trying to do and it's normally quite negative mm. but there's also the people who are struggling with their own identity and actually just showing them that there is hope and I'm not going to sit here and say it's been all rainbows and butterflies for the mm. last six or seven years because it hasn't been it's been it's been a hell of a journey and I've lost an awful lot. It's, it's, I always say it's cost me so much emotionally mm. and financially, but actually to be able to sort of live the life I've got now is, is hugely rewarding. And mm. I, I try to show the upsides as, as well as the downsides um, through social media and through telling my story. And I just hope that if there's a, 15, 20 year olds sat listening to this somewhere that they, they can take some inspiration from yeah. from seeing me and um, and realising that there is hope out there. Mm. I think obviously it's so important for those people who perhaps are having feelings like you were that they're not sure about and, and they're perhaps trying to suppress but realising that they, they can't be suppressed and and, you know, hearing your story and hearing how you have come out the other side of it like you say, it hasn't been easy, but to, to come through that, um, I think is, is such an important thing to do. And I'm so, I'm sure that you've empowered so many other people, not just those people who are, who are perhaps struggling, but people, 
you know, like me who who weren't really sure how to how to even talk about it and how to have the conversations when of course it's it's just a normal conversation, you know, with with another person. It shouldn't be difficult and it shouldn't be taboo. It should just be, you know, like talking to anyone else. Um I think that is a lovely place um to finish. You can read more about Sean via her blog, which is available on the front runner pages of the Asics website, or via her Instagram, which is at Sean underscore runs underscore. Is that right? That's correct. Thank you. Um, Sean, as I've mentioned, uh, has also contributed to a few other blogs and podcasts, which are really, really interesting. If you want to hear more about her story um, and learn about a bit more about her journey, then definitely go uh, onto wherever you get your podcast and just search for Sean Longthorpe. Um, and I will put everything uh, links to stuff in the in the show notes. Um, but thank you so much for talking to me, Sean. As I said, I'm so grateful uh, for you being so open and generous with your story. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to the Wise Women in Sport podcast, and thanks to Sean for coming on and speaking to me. If you enjoyed the episode today, then please rate the podcast and leave a review and follow us wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure that you don't miss the next episode next week. And we'll see you then.